Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. Uh, apparently, like in the pre-show, I learned I have been pronouncing... I've been saying foe, and apparently it's foo? Foo? Fa. Yeah, so it's fa. fa. <laughs> okay. Foo? Well, it's delicious either pho? way. Oh, fa. See? Yeah, you said no, foe. It's, yeah. it's pronounced fa. Oh, for Christ's sake. Okay, well, now it's we fa. I've start the been episode an idiot out of myself. Like yes, we can. We can't do this. It's too late. I'm not starting over. My time is money. Also joining us is local Texan who is wrong about barbecue. It's Eric Van Allen. <laughs> Sitting here with my hi- piping hot bowl of foie. <laughs> I'm just really foie. excited to dig into this. <laughs> and who is our special guest? Hello, uh, my name is Autumn. Uh, I write about video games and anime on the internet. Yes, and Autumn is here because we are going to be talking about Xenoblade Chronicles 3, which came out last Friday. We're going to be doing our full review and having all of our roundtable and talking about everything else, including the untimely delay of Knights of the Old Republic. But first, before we get to that point, if you enjoy the show, thank you so much. Please go ahead and leave us a review on the podcatcher of your choice. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia's at Nadia Oxford. Eric is at Cmoosi, S-E-A-M-O-O-S-I. And Autumn, where can we find you? At the Autumn Rate on Twitter. Excellent. We should definitely do that. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod, where you can support the podcast if you so desire and get access to a ton of special episodes. If you want to hear more about Xenoblade Chronicles 3, for example, you should check out our recent episode about Monolith Soft. And hey, we have our Final Fantasy XIV series, Charlian Dropouts. Nadia, what was the last episode about? Uh, it was just Victor and I, because Mike had some personal business to attend to, but we just basically talked about, we started to talk about our favorite quests in the game, and we kind of decided, okay, this is going to have to be like a multi-part thing, because we kept on going, and uh, there were still many, many quests to go over, so we just had a really fun discussion about that, and you should go ahead and check it out, it's very chill. So many things to discuss, but yeah, Charlene Dropouts, loved by many, it's a great little Final Fantasy fourteen podcast, and you should check it out. Oh, and by the way, the Pantheon of the Blood God vote is happening right the heck now. You still have time to go and swing the vote if you so desire. This month is Falcom month. We have four great Falcom RPGs, including Trails in the Sky FC, Trails of Cold Steel, Ease 8, and Ease Oath in Falgana. It's looking like Trails in the Sky FC will be the next Pantheon of the Blood God episode, in which case we will do a monthly game club, and we'll kind of talk about it a lot throughout the month. It's going to be a lot of fun, and we also have our Xenogears episode coming up pretty soon. I'm, I'm kind of excited. I've been looking forward to finally playing Trails in the Sky FC, even if it's another long one. <laughs> As I'm a little disappointed that like a Yeez game didn't make it, but we'll have a definitely have a chance to get some Yeez games action in here. And it's like, oh God, well, now I'm playing two monstrously huge rpgs side by side i guess autumn are you a big trails in the sky fan i am slowly crawling through that series but (laughs) i have loved every second of it isn't it a great series so much fun it it is an rpg that makes me like rethink like like it just makes me realize i've been settling for what video game writing could be Mm, interesting definitely have you on on one of the episodes then for sure high praise for sure. 
All right, it's time now to talk about what we have been playing, our sacrifices to the blood god. Eric, you said I walked to the end. I have no idea what that means, but I do have a slight idea. I'm just gonna um, just gonna turn off my microphone and go away for a little while. I'll see you later. Bye. Remember, remember last episode when I said that, like, oh, I'm gonna take some time. You know, maybe I'll I'll finish Endwalker sometime in the middle of August or whatever. You know, definitely want to have it done by the time next patch rolls around. So I finished Endwalker this week. Um, just blasted through that expansion uh, real fast. And, uh, yeah, so I guess now, barring 6.1, I am current with Final Fantasy fourteen, which is a really bizarre feeling. Um, this has been a seven-month journey of learning, of understanding, of growing as a person. Uh, and I, I, I will not render full judgment. And those at home who do not play fourteen. Uh, do not worry. This is not a sudden takeover of the podcast, <laughs> but uh, we'll talk more probably on Charlie and dropouts about it, like like longer thoughts and all that. But yeah, for sure. As somebody who has never liked an MMO that much, I cannot believe how much I love Final Fantasy 14. It is an exceptionally well-made game. It It is an incredible journey. I think Endwalker is really amazing because of how it manages to tie in so many things that started in Realm Reborn, mm-hmm. seeds that were planted. I, I talked when we first talked about Realm Reborn, I, I keep talking about it. It's a, like a foundation. You know, it's it's about building the layers up and, and getting you comfortable with the world so that way when they start moving those pieces you're not kind of lost in in the pronouns and, and and the proper nouns and like the the who the what the where you like you know all the table setting you know yeah. you, you can focus on what's happening and the 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 thing i really like about Endwalker is it feels so rewarding for all that it just like recognizes all the things that you have done and the journey that you've been on in ways that are really cool and I think are remarkable for any RPG, much less an MMORPG. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I still have problems with it. I think I think there are certain characters that get sidelined it, it, by the end of fourteen that really bum me out. And, and to my understanding, some of that was due to COVID development and not having uh, the ability to do the voice acting and stuff that they maybe yeah. would have wanted. So some characters aren't really present at all. Others kind of get written in a way that. Um, I wish they'd figure out what they want to do with Kryl. Um, I Poor like Kryl. I like Kryl a lot, and Kryl ends up really getting the short end of the stick as far as the the scions go. I uh, interviewed Yoshi P right before Endwalker came out, and uh, I asked him how COVID kind of affected the development of the expansion. He said in some pretty major ways, like the way he cited it is say you're doing a scene, so you're rendering a scene and you're not sure about the lighting and you can, if you're working together, you say to a friend, Hey, come over to my computer screen. How does right. this look? Whereas uh, working online, that's, you know, as streamlined as it is these days, that's still waiting for another person to respond, waiting for the file to get over. So considering how much was, if it was developed under COVID, like it was a pretty remarkable expansion. I just kind of cried through the last six of it. Like I didn't stop. The end of that game is hitting me in waves. Like I was playing, 
I was playing last night, just going through old areas, getting flying in all the Endwalker areas. Yeah, yeah. I had a moment where I remembered that line because I was like kind of humming the song. There's like the footfall song that gets introduced in the trailer and keeps playing in different motifs throughout the entire expansion. And I remembered the line that Alice has near the end of that expansion when you're on this very long walk and she says something like, all I can hear are my footfalls just echoes as we keep moving forward. Mm. And I legitimately started to get like really emotional. (laughs) Like I was like, oh, this is like really hitting me right now. I am like crying in the middle of the club, in the middle of the Final (laughs) Fantasy 14. I'm crying in the middle of the Aether Current hunt. Um so yeah, I mean, I'm not done with this game by any by any extension. You know, I I have picked up a new class. I'm learning how to play Sage now because I decided to forego my selfish ways and heal other people for Aww, once instead of just being sweet. a damaged dragoon selfish nah, me, I'm DPS bastard. All, all the way, baby. <laughs> I don't want any responsibility. Um, Get that stuff away from me. And Sage is really, really fun. I really, really like it. But um, yeah, this game is just incredible i can't believe it exists in in some ways and i don't think any other mmo could get me like this like i have no desire to play world of warcraft or or guild wars or anything like that but 14 is just something else it's just looking forward to having you on charlotte dropout it's a shame you weren't a little bit earlier because we just released a new episode but no, for sure. Yeah, Next. This gives me time to simmer. It gives That's me time true. to think. That's you know, true. it gives me mold. I don't want don't want the immediate honeymoon takes. We want like the the well-reasoned takes where I'm going to come in. I, I, I'm going to make us tier rank the Scions, by the way. In fact, let's do all the MSQ characters. We're just going to tier list them uh, because I badly want y'all to like yell at me for where I put Thancred because that bad boy is going be at the most i'm sorry thank <laughs> you're not dad. a high tier scion <laughs> well i'm congratulations i hope it was like a super edifying journey it sounds like it was <laughs> it was it was i can't wait for you to take it cat i i it, it will be a, a momentous journey for you we'll, we'll take your hand each of us will take one of your hands and drag you through it that's <laughs> just her feet scraping on the floor <laughs> I have I've been slowly convincing everyone a friend of the show and other podcast co-host of mine Kenneth Shepard has now installed Final Fantasy 14 and started playing it so there there are others converting it it is a matter of time cat assimilation is on the way (laughs) I just don't think it's my kind of game I really don't you know Uh, you want to be a cat girl I mean yes I look I I started playing it I made a character that I found very attractive I was just like she was cool. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, maybe maybe someday we'll see. But uh, Autumn, are you a are you a Final Fantasy fourteen aficionado? Have you taken the journey? No, no. I feel like uh, for like people who write professionally about games, there's like really you can only have like one series that you dedicate over a hundred hours mm-hmm. to at a time. And for for me, that's been you know. Yeah, yeah, that makes a okay, lot of that's sense. A good <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, it's you. Monster Hunter, which uh, yeah, I just yeah. think is a. I just like better. I do. I don't like MMO mechanics. I like action. I like action mechanics. Mm. Uh, it's more fun. Uh, so that's my that's my dose of uh, cooperative gameplay. But um, Autumn, what have you been playing? I guess you've probably been playing Xenoblade Chronicles Three, haven't you? 
yeah, that has been uh, my uh, my life for the past month, I guess. Um, I'm currently uh, 136 hours in that. Ooh, oh my uh, gosh! And I started nice. playing about four weeks ago, so no time wow. for that. The last I'm thing jelly. I played before that was a uh, Neon White. Yeah, which is also very I heard it's good. It's, it it's great. It's I I don't usually like uh, like like games that are just about a mechanical challenge yeah um in games where the goal is get a shorter time but everything about that game is curated around making you want to get a shorter time uh and it really worked for me and so did the story stuff i really enjoyed neon white uh the game i didn't really enjoy weirdly it's okay stray i wanted to like the cat game better i did i'm so annoyed that you're not more of a cat in that game. I was kind of venting about this. I brought my Steam Deck with me to San Diego just to play that game. And I was like, this is okay. It has vibes. But come on. A cat wouldn't pick up a freaking battery and put them into a wall in their teeth. Doesn't it have like a, a robot helper though that maybe This was pre-robot helper. This was pre it was very there was a lot oh. of intentionality to that cat's actions. And I uh I I mean I kind of want to role play the cat just sitting on the carpet and scratching at it. And, you know, grooming itself and not doing anything in, in particular, maybe meowing a lot. And sometimes Peeing I on do everything. just stop. Just yeah, throwing no, all exactly. my belongings. Why can't I? I mean, you, you can jump up on things and just knock things over. That is a very cat-like uh, behavior. But Also yes. taking over your owner's pillow Yes, every night. Nadia, I, uh, we, we staged a Nintendo voice chat, Blood God Takeover. Uh, earlier we this did. week and it was pretty great yeah that was fun um, i enjoyed that I sh- we should do it again yeah we should to- we totally should and we we i think we all had a blast but um yes i talk a little bit more about stray on there i also have been playing some uh live alive which uh those are nice vibes they're pretty good i i'm a little puzzled by the the battle system because it seems too easy question mark i'm like where there's no there there i'm playing through the uh the chinese kung fu story and it's very cute very sweet i like the music i love the graphics and i love the atmosphere but it's almost more like a visual novel than an actual rpg in some ways so the thing i'll say about the imperial china arc is i think it's a good one to start on but i do think it gives you the impression early that the battle system's easier because the whole idea of the arc is that you start out with a max level character Right. And you have this you have this like uh, Shifu who is super powerful and, and, and incredible, but you're trying to train your disciples. Right. And so the idea is that you go through these training sessions where you beat them up and in the process, like impart your knowledge and your your move set uh, onto them. And, and I'm not going to get into spoilers, but obviously one might assume that as the game goes on, it might become important that you spend time on your pupils and not necessarily just training up the master. Right. Um, And I do think a lot of people I've seen who have started with that arc come out of it like, Oh wow, this battle system's easy. And then I'd be like, okay, now go play Edo Japan, go play, um, play the challenge levels in the far feature, the robot one that doesn't have any actual combat, but has like a challenge area that you can do has some really difficult combat in there that really pushes that system. So I would say like, there's, there's some stuff to find if you want to find it there, there, there is challenge in that game, but certain, 
I like that it's it's kind of cordoned off for the most part. It's there if you want to chase it. Otherwise, I do think it is not punishingly difficult in the way that other RPGs can be. Dr. Horror says, too easy? No. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, she just kind of told me everything I need to know about that one. (laughs) Keep at it, I guess. Nadia, I see that you wrote Xenoblade Chronicles 3, exclamation mark. So you fully migrated off Xenoblade Chronicles 2 and on to 3, huh? I, that was actually a really smart move, as it turns out, because uh, as I was saying before, I have been playing a lot of Xenoblade Chronicles 2 in preparation for 3. And the way I just went so smoothly and adapted to 3's battle system, because they take so much from that, but make it a little more sane. And I absolutely love, it's called, I don't know why it's called canceling, but it's called like the canceling system where you hit the button at a very specific time for extra damage. So I love the way it feels in two and I transitioned over to three. So I already love the battle system in that game. So I'm already down with probably the most important part of it. We'll talk about Xenoblade Chronicles 3 more, I'm sure. But I'm also playing, I forgot to write it down, to like playing what I can of Xenogears. And that is just a trip, like... I, I am having some trouble seeing the screen because of the way it swings around and stuff like that. It makes me a little bit motion sick. But uh, in terms of themes, it's like, God damn, you can just see, okay, Takahashi, this is where it all started. And now I realize, like, now that I'm getting into three, like, this guy's a, he's a genius. Like, you know, he's like Yoko Taro. He's like, should be acknowledged as such. And uh, looking forward to the episode. I don't think I'll be able to finish the game, though. And, and that's the one thing I'm kind of stuck on because I have not, played the second cd so i don't know how infamously bad it is i guess i guess we'll see what happens yes and we will be talking about the xenogears episode on monday and releasing the episode on wednesday so if i can find guests because oh my gosh it's it's been a little touch and go on that front uh somebody get resident arc on the horn <laughs> i thought we had a um a guest coming in on we did they just canceled <laughs> Ah, for fuck's sake. I'll edit that out. Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) It's okay. All right. That's it for what we've been playing. And now it's time for a series of random encounters. The year of tactics 2022 continues as uh, Tactics Ogre has leaked with an apparent November 11th release date, though still not been formally revealed it's a little bit weird uh the great near church mystery started percolated and then closed out it was a mod reveal but a really cool and sick mod reveal it got trending on twitter yoko taro got involved uh there's a mysterious door there was speculation that square enix was doing a marketing campaign but come on square enix isn't that sophisticated but it, it was really fun <laughs> go and check it out Are you, I mean, come on are you telling me that Square Enix spun up an entire dang ARG? Seriously. I saw an opinion saying that it reminded them of uh, the really old days of when people in who wrote magazines would make the really elaborate April Fool's jokes like, you know, how to beat Shenlong in Street Fighter and whatnot. So it was kind of like that, a, a callback to that almost. Yeah, there's so much speculation on whether it was going to be a hoax, and it kind of was, basically, but... It was a fun hoax, a really, a good really hoax. well done hoax. Agreed. Um, eight Yakuza games are coming to PS Plus if you don't already have Game Pass. Wrath of the Lich King Classic arrives on September 26th. Voice actor David Warner, uh, who played Arenicus in Baldur's Gate 2 and Morpheus in Fallout, dies at 80. 
And in some tragic news, US Gamer is going to be going away and leaving the internet forever. A bastion of very good game writing and criticism and with a great community. IMO, Nadia, Eric, and I all worked for that website. It was great. So go check it out while it's still there. I am but, so angry about the state of game. Sorry, Kat. I'm just so angry about the state of not just game preservation, but games writing preservation. I've been at this since 2004. Do you know how many of my articles have survived? Like, so, so few. I know enough. that I was about.com's guide for the 3DS for a long time, and that just got all got integrated into ad fodder as the years went on. But most of my stuff is just straight up gone. So I am working hard to make sure I preserve everything I can from US Gamer, because I think I wrote a lot of good articles for that site. Like I really, Katie really helped, Katie and you actually helped me refine my writing to a point where I wasn't such a rambling so-and-so. And And, uh, yeah, I'm going to make sure I capture what I can. And I encourage everyone interested in games journalism to do the same. This week's episode of Axe of the Blood God is brought to you by NordVPN. In Pokemon, use repels to stop random encounters because sometimes you just don't want monsters coming in to your computer and NordVPN helps that. That was a very tortured and wonderful comparison. But the point is NordVPN is very, very good. It uses wired guard VPN technology, multi-hop, split tunneling, and Tor connections in numerous service locations and MeshNet features. So many technological terms. But the point is, NordVPN, very good. And that's why we are letting them sponsor this week's episode of Axel Blood God. Yeah, I think my internet needs protection. My internet is dangerous and out there all alone on the high seas. And so I think going over to NordVPN and using Blood God, that is nordvpn.com slash bloodgod, to get a huge discount on my NordVPN plan sounds like a good idea. Let me tell you, friends of the show, I am a stranger in the northern wilds of Canada and if you are like me if you are a Canadian you know how badly our streaming services suck so NordVPN can let you get around that by letting you set your settings to whatever country you want therefore uh, you are not restricted by the whims of the CRTC do it go ahead and level up your privacy by grabbing NordVPN grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus free threat protection, plus one additional month for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. But our top story is this very strange thing that's happening with Knights of the Old Republic, which the remake was announced, I believe, last year. Everybody was very excited. Aspire, sure, why not? But now it's been delayed indefinitely. The design director and the art director were both fired. The design director Dang. was uh, originally from Bioware, actually. And there are rumors that Aspire um, misled Disney as to the actual state of the game that they were saying, no, no, it could totally be done by 2022. It'll be fine. Disney. Don't worry. When in fact, it was much more realistic that it was going to be happening in 2025. So I think the upshot of all this y'all is, I don't think we're going to be seeing a Knights of the old Republic remake anytime soon, if at all. No, um, I can't wait to hear more of the details about that one because uh, pulling a fast one on Disney probably won't work out for you. 
Disney Legal's coming for you. I think one of the funniest outcomes of all this has been, you know, for ages, people would whine about like, oh, electronic arts, they're they're ruining the Star Wars license. Get it away from them. Give it to somebody else. Give anybody else Star Wars. I just can't believe this. And now that it's gone out, we've got this report about KOTOR that it's not going well, uh, that the things are not going great. Uh, which, which to be clear, is is not a good thing. I'm not gleeful about that. That sucks. Um, yeah. Maybe a little bit gleeful about how apparently the Quantic Dream one isn't going well either. <laughs> but um, Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> Look, <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> I would love to forget about that. Oh, um, no. I've eaten the fruit of knowledge. God. <laughs> David Cage's fruit of knowledge. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it's... Uh, but while that's happening, EA's over here being like, yeah, you know, go ahead, take that license elsewhere, see how it goes. We're going to keep making Jedi Fallen Order. Did you hear about that one? It did super well, you know, like they EA went and hit the gym. EA got bricked up, deleted Facebook, ate mm. right. They're doing everything good. It's wild. <laughs> it's, EA, let's not get carried uh, away here, okay? <laughs> <laughs> The thing about EA and the Star Wars license and the whole like Battlefront 2 thing, uh, what happened there, I think, was I just imagined Disney picking up EA like a kitten and shaking it and being like, <laughs> get your act together. And you think about it like, oh, EA is such a giant company. It can never fail. It can never be uh, talked down to. But then here comes Disney <laughs> and to set things right, quote unquote. It, the it's also the story of like respawn joining and just completely overhauling that company and changing that company's direction in a way that I don't think can ever be like understated because yeah pre respawn and post respawn it's two completely different things um so it definitely that factors in as well as always EA is a very large company and there are many different studios that have their own different cultures within the overall umbrella of ea but certainly ever since the anthem fiasco and the closure of visceral and everything that was happening with star wars um uh, the star wars the, the game battle battlefront 2 battlefront 2 yeah uh, the whole fiasco with that ea has gotten a lot more circumspect about trying to like cram loot boxes and whatnot into their game yeah. it's just the ultimate teams that are bad yeah that's where that's where their bread is buttered but I was going to say that they're not the ultimate teams are good. Uh, Saber Interactive was rumored uh, to be uh, taking full control of it. Saber Interactive is a pretty good studio, so potentially they could end up doing pretty well. But as for me, I, I would be kind of surprised at this point if Knights of the Old Republic ultimately comes out as a remake. Um, and by all accounts, uh, Disney is apparently not that easy to work with. Uh, yeah, they're a very surprise. demanding license holder. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, even Namora said with Kingdom Hearts 3, oh God, kill me now, because they really clamped down on what you can and can't do and with the Disney properties. Yes, so many stakeholders over at Disney, yeah. all of whom have pages of feedback for you. So good luck to all of them. Okay, it's time now to move on to the Xenoblade Chronicles 3 review. Yep, Xenoblade Chronicles 3 
is out. I played the first five minutes of it. It's on my Nintendo Switch. Uh, my first question is, why are there characters from Star Trek, the, the black and white aliens, why are they in Xenoblade Chronicles 3? Is that secretly what this story is all about? The war of how the black and white aliens from that episode of Star Trek came to be, the only two left. Autumn, I'm going to throw this one to you. <laughs> yeah, Tetsuya Takahashi wants Star Trek. Uh, so now that's the thing that he's drawing on. Uh, whereas Zeno Gears was Evangelion. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm into it. Let's go. Let's keep going. So, I don't know enough about Star Trek to keep this running at all. So sorry. Same. Oh, darn. <laughs> that's why I chickened out. I assume okay. you mean the, the Machina, though. Let me, let me explain a joke to you. <laughs> In the original Star Trek, <laughs> there was an episode <laughs> in which there were two aliens... One, uh, they were black and white. One had the white side on the left side of their face, and the other mm -hmm. had the white side on the right side of their face. Mm -hmm. And they were the only two people left in their race. And they ultimately end up fighting and killing one another. And it shows mm -hmm. why racism is very bad. Back well, in the original one Star Trek. Sounds subtle. One had stars upon stars, while the other had, had whatever the other one is. Yeah. <laughs> I like that Mango Alt says this is Cat's Revenge for the Final Fantasy XIV talk. <laughs> but fair. in fair. Xenoblade Chronicles 3, there are people who look kind of like that. And I'm like, what is up with these white and gray people? Can you explain this to me, Autumn? All right. Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 1 spoilers, I guess. Uh, those are the Machina. They oh, are the... Gasp sentient race of the Mechonis. Um, and like all the other races of the Bionis and Mechonis who, uh, and then the separate races of all rest from Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Uh, for some reason, those the, the peoples and places of those two games have been pitted against each other in some endless forever war uh, that is fought by child soldiers who uh, as we learn in a like one of the first cutscenes, uh, are bred in a lab, kind of. They're grown in test uh, tubes, I think. Yeah, they're grown in like tube things, uh, supposedly birthed by their queens. Who uh, now that Nintendo's embargo is over, <laughs> I can say look like Melia from Xenoblade Chronicles and Nia yes. from Xenoblade Chronicles Two. I could not say that Melia and Nia in my review, even though everyone on the internet has known that that is Melia and Nia. So that's out there. Had to get that on my system. Uh, so that that's a good segue into like what my first big question is, as somebody who is hopping in for the first time with Xenoblade 3. Is it important that I be aware of previous Xenoblades before playing this one? Yeah, I've gotten this question a lot. Uh, <laughs> you know, and the problem is like different people have different opinions on mm. generally where to start in Xeno. Uh, so like to start off, this is the summary of like how we get here. Xenoblade Chronicles 1 was made as an entirely standalone game. It was mm -hmm. not it, like it was Xeno only in name. Xenoblade Chronicles 2 uh, was uh, described as just a successor, not a sequel. Uh, mm -hmm. Takahashi said it was uh, the games were two sides of the same coin. 
Um, he was lying. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they were very <laughs> much related. Um, and they are kind of simultaneously running alongside each other. Um, and because of that, you can kind of start with two uh, because they're like parallel universes, basically, uh, running alongside each other, their stories, and they intersect. They, they, they come up against each other at the end, but they never really cross. Mm. Um, yeah. Now, I think that the way that two handles that connection uh, kind of necessitates knowing what happened in one a bit. I think it relies on a sense of nostalgia and care for, like, you know, uh, if you hear a voice of a character and you know it's Shulk, that's going to mean a lot more than just hearing a voice and knowing, like, oh, something's going on over there. Yeah. yeah. You know, th- there's a weight to that. But but generally, a lot of people started with two and were totally fine with that. Three is kind of similar, but there's a lot more imagery and iconography from the past games. And I, I think that it's not just that it has the imagery and iconography, it's also this kind of thematic synthesis of what the past two games have been. Mm. And for me, at least for me, a lot of the joy I got out of this was seeing these like narrative and thematic through lines of all three games and how they synthesize together uh, and how they kind of make a larger argument. Uh, but going through like the story, it's going to be kind of, weird it's though definitely the weirdest premise of any of them but like it is told in a way where it is itself a complete story um i think it will have to do more work to carry you along i think like you know it, if you're not as interested in the romantic subplot then like like you know there's gonna be less uh incentive to keep playing but it is definitely possible Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, I was doing just fine making up my own story with Xenoblade Chronicles, so I think I uh, think I'll do all right. Yeah, but- I think you're you're getting ahead there, Kat. Uh, I have to say that, like, just to kind of carry on what Autumn was saying, like, I it's been a long, long time since I played through one. I don't remember a lot of the story. A lot of two story, I guess, kind of jumbled up at the end, so I don't remember a lot of that. But seeing like something like the Bionis and something like the Mechonis fighting each other in that opening scene, it's like, wow, that is such a cool callback. So. I, am I correct or incorrect in saying like there are callbacks, but ones that are kind of more easily recognizable versus like little bits of lore that you might not have picked up in one or two? Like, for example, the big mon- the, the the robots fighting each other and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, Xenoblade is about this kind of like biological versus technological conflict, yeah. you know. Uh, so you're going to see stuff like that. Um, there's There's only a few moments where it was like, a character gestures at something and it's like, this is important, this thing you're looking at. And if you don't know what that thing is from a past game, then it's not going to have any meaning. Uh, But generally like the way it it uses the imagery, the icons, the architecture, the designs of the past games within to tell its own story. Yeah. Um, So it works that way. That's good. Yeah. Pretend that I don't care about the Xenoblade story, will I still be able to enjoy Xenoblade Chronicles 3? Or, in your opinion, is enjoyment contingent on being invested in the world? That is a hard thing for me to parse out, personally. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think there is a compelling, if very weird, story there. Um, 
And I, I think a lot of people will go into this as their entry point and find something there. For me, I don't know if it, I don't know if it would work for me personally, though. Um, Interesting. Because I've heard that, I've heard there was at least one person who claimed that Xenoblade Chronicles 1 was the game you played for the story. Xenoblade Chronicles 2 was the game you played for anime. And Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is the game that you played for combat. And that immediately grabbed my interest because I was like, oh, I like a really good combat system. All right, let's go. And the fact that. 3 has a very good combat system, I think. I think there's, like I was saying earlier, there's a certain weight to it that they kind of took. Xenoblade Chronicles 2's system, which I liked a lot, and made it a lot more streamlined. And the, like I said, the act of canceling that those attacks and chaining them into each other is an extremely satisfying feeling. And it, 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 it gets into your muscle memory, you know, and it makes you feel like you're engaged in every single battle. So you might actually like that, Kat. You might like that. Because it's also, I know you don't like MMORPGs, and that might be a problem here, because a lot of the battle system, a lot of Xenoblade Chronicles in general is offline MMO. And so you have attacks where you got to have your tank, you got to have your healer, you got to have your DPS, and the DPS got to be behind the enemy, you got to be beside the enemy, like to, to to deliver these these certain blows. So I enjoy positions. that sort of thing a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't mind the the class system thing. I really like the traditional healer tank DPS setup because that's tale as old t- as time in RPGs. As old that's- time, yeah long before MMORPGs ever came around. Um, I will say that when I first started playing it, I was like, oh, right, it has the auto attack thing <laughs> when you run up to uh, an enemy. And so, like, I'm willing to vibe with it. But, yeah, it's not exactly my favorite thing. Um, and, it, yes, it does have that MMORPG kind of uh, flavor to it. Um, Autumn, another question for you. What grabbed you about the Xenoblade games specifically? So like you said, I started with one and the thing that grabs me about that is this, you know, capital R romantic feeling, mm-hmm. this, this sweeping open world, the just, you know, like the way that the Tatsuya Takahashi thinks, the way that he originally presented Xenoblade uh, to Nintendo was there's two giant titans. They're fighting each other. And Nintendo's like, cool, what's the game? And he's like, no, 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 no. This is the game. They're gods. <laughs> You're looking at it. They're dead gods locked in combat. And you know, this is the this is the physical like construction of the, mm-hmm. the metaphor of this mm-hmm. of everything we're gonna talk about in this game. And it's like that that speaks to me. I understand. Um, so that's how I got in. Also, I love Mecha stuff, so uh that, you know, uh I think Takashi and I uh, have the same brainworms, um, <laughs> and that that two is not it is some of that, but two is a lot of other things. And I have a very complicated, I have an ever complicated relationship. To I how love I feel two. about two. Uh, I, I think two. It, it is, you know, it, two is like a lowercase r romantic game to me. Uh, it is more about the drama of these characters and understanding their pains. Um, and sorrow um and you know whenever i hear drifting souls i get a little teary uh during the smash reveal for pyra and mithra i was about to cry playing through two again i find that i actually really like malos and Jin. i think they have like a really interesting dynamic going on between them that i enjoyed yeah so and so villains. three to me is like what if malos and Jin like you actually understood their backstories and motivations they were not just these 
archetypes, these like yeah. primal figures that represented ideas. They were more human. They were people. Mm-hmm. And like digging into that three is so much more grounded in human and it is of, like, already history to the people. And you, you get to know people. They are complicated. Every single character in your party is so much more complicated and has so much more to their background that you find out than any of the characters in the past games. And it's like incredible that they did this while expanding the cast to six characters too. Yeah, that's pretty. That's a pretty bold move right there. I noticed, uh, it's not really a spoiler because within like the first hour of the game, I've gotten about two hours in already. It's a very, it's opening goes very hard. And when you think about Xenoblade Chronicles 2, which is kind of like really nice, you start on the back of Gramps and like, you know, you're talking to him. And you just, first game you started at Media Res in the middle of a war. This takes that war and really amps it up. And just like, there's a scene where a tank just rolls over bodies. And I'm like, wow, that's uh, that's pretty okay. hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that goes hard. Yeah. Uh, I think like, yeah, the, I think the, the big structure of this game is meant to mirror one. Um, mm, yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, the, the tone is so much more somber. It is this war story. Um, and yeah, the, the thing, I was re-watching the prologue cutscene, and the thing that got me is just after the tutorial battle you have, no, uh, Noah is upset. Mm-hmm. He is not okay with this. Like, he's, he's starting to realize that this is messed up, and he cannot be okay with uh, all this death and killing. Well, meanwhile, all the his friends and like the closest thing he has to family around him are cheering. Yeah, they're like, "Hooray, mm-hmm. we win! This we get to live for another day." Something like that. And that's another thing that kind of grabbed me right from the start. It's like, what are we fighting for? Well, we're fighting for life itself. We need this life mm-hmm. force to live. So I take it from you. You take it from me, and that's the way it is. Like, okay, that, those are the highest stakes you can think of, really. Yeah. So, like pulling the lens back a little bit, like Xenoblade Three is like a war story essentially right you got these two nations that are fighting each other and their child soldiers all have like i think it's 10 year lifespans that they get to live out and then they get to like graduate or whatever which is just like get turned into dust by (laughs) their their leaders and stuff um and that was what grabbed me initially because i love stuff like uh tactics um like uh uh, Valkyria Chronicles stuff like like war story RPGs tend to really resonate with me does that does it feel like that carries out throughout the game or does it ever feel like at some point it eventually becomes more of like fantasy RPG sort of storytelling uh there, there's elements of both for sure but the the sense of like being like in the trenches of a war that's being fought mm-hmm. and dealing with the emotional impact of that on people's lives and like how that affects how people think about life in the world how that affects philosophy like that is throughout the whole game uh in you know in serious ways like uh i remember like well the, before we got much uh much detail of the world like the rating uh came out and there's mm-hmm. a suicide uh warning for this game mm-hmm. and like it it digs into that i actually didn't know that i didn't know that little bit of information there so so yeah. it's a bit almost like final fantasy 12 in that regard where it's got like kind of this conflict that is shaping the journey that you're on throughout all of it and and these kinds of sides that are clashing as you're going yeah i can't speak to the comparison <laughs> uh but but it is also fantasy rpg it is the road trip rpg as well 
Mm. Uh, you know, which I always love. Uh, yeah, it, like you know, like the most. I don't, I don't know Final Fantasy very well, but like you know, the the camaraderie of uh, the guys in Fifteen, like oh, the yeah, boys too. <laughs> um, uh, and I think like that's it also since we're talking about the boys, uh, it, it's also like uh, handle, I, I write on this in my review of Polygon, uh, it handles its character writing in, impeccably and especially how it treats women in the mm-hmm. world, in the game, both in sorts of writing, in terms of their motivations, what, wh- why are they doing what they do uh, and their character design. It's not comparable at all to the past work. Um, there is still, you know, anime romance stuff a bit. Um, it is the most convincing romance that they have ever portrayed, though. Uh, I <laughs> hate Shulkin. I hate Shulkin Fiora so much. Rex is a child. Uh, yeah, for you know, but th- this is yeah, is this is up there with like uh, Jin and Laura or something like that. First okay. hour into the game, and there's a co-ed bathing scene. I'm like, uh, y'all are naked together. Uh, okay, if you're cool with it. Fine. Oh, it's like it's Starship Troopers. Starship they do troopers. a Starship Troopers. Yeah. yeah. Everybody get I mean, naked. You're born in a pod. <laughs> what is sucks? What there's no there's no romance in this world. I mean, that, that's like a very like that's a you know a staple of like they're all out in in the field and the combat stuff. Like, again, like Starship Troopers. That's that's the scene I always think of. Is they're all just like, oh, we're out here being soldiers and stuff like that. It's whatever. Like that's first, and all that other stuff that we might be thinking about is second, third, whatever. Yeah, it's like I haven't gotten that far into the game, but it definitely gives you the the implication that well, these people do not have a normal human thing going on. They don't have a normal human life. Everything is yeah. combat, combat, combat. So. If they see each other naked, I don't even know if they reproduce the, uh, in the in the manner of regular mammals. So they don't care. Why would they care? No, no thoughts. Head empty. Just no, on to the next empty. battle. Just just saunas and battles. That's all I got going on for them. But you brought up like the the boys of fifteen and and the that comparison. And the other thing that struck me about this game, if if punch number one of the one two punch was the war story and the Valkyria Chronicles-ness of it. The, the two of that punch was, oh, they got like some tales stuff going on, like kind of hanging out at a campfire, talking to each other, cooking. Uh, I love every RPG needs to embrace the campfire. It is the mm, best mm-hmm. mechanic. It is the most effective mechanic at like making that party feel like they're all talking to each other and hanging out. Does, does Xenoblade 3 like do that really well? Yeah, let me tell you, there is a mechanic uh when you there's different rest spots, uh, so you could like be at a canteen or a barracks or just like out at a, a campgrounds in the mm-hmm. open world, um, and is what you can do at each of those varies a bit. Like you can't eat in the barracks, uh, but you can't work out slash level up at the canteen kind of thing. Mm, uh, right. When you're out in the open world, you have all of the things you can do, uh, which is also like gym crafting, cooking, discussing. Uh, things to initiate quests and stuff mm. um there is a dedicated button uh, a dedicated section of the rest spots uh for cleaning your clothes there's no mechanical <laughs> effect to that but when you're like walking around a desert or something like you will notice that like your clothes get dirty that's awesome that's i, I, like actually, that I love that that's so like nitty gritty tiny little granular detail as my english teacher in high school in a literal would say, sense 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's a little nugget. That's that's a scrumptious little nugget of detail that that makes the whole thing work. Uh, I love that. That's that's a really. It's pretty impressive for the uh, Nintendo Switch. I mean, my first impression when I put it up was like, "Wow, this game looks pretty good." In um, in handheld mode, and when we were talking about it on NBC, we had John Linneman on, and he was like, "Oh yeah, it's like downright beautiful." A lot of the time in in handheld mode, it's like. It mostly holds at 30 FPS, has some frame rate dips, but it doesn't seem like. Yeah, too many issues. Uh, but I've noticed like being out on the planes, because of course, there's always that opening big ass planes area. Just how varied the terrain is this time around. Like it reminds me of the first time I saw mountains, like just walking out and seeing like, oh, my God, there's there's things taller than me over here. And you can really see a long, long distance in Xenoblade Chronicles 3. And you see. You see the monsters like doing their thing, which I always loved about the game. It always had that living sort of feel to it. And you could do some really interesting things like, oh, there's a treasure all the way off over there. I can see it, so I'm going to go to it. And I really actually like a small detail, but I appreciate it. There's actually shapes to little knickknacks you, you collect now. They actually yes. look like stuff. They're not yeah. just going oh light. They are going light, but that. when you get closer, they turn into items. And it's like, ah, oh, okay, that's cool. Good job. Yeah, that is so nice to have after just random I, I was playing exhibit earlier this year and i was like such at a loss trying to find just random items from various orbs by region yeah yeah the, the earlier games were always kind of bad for that and xenoblade in general is a series that really relies on collecting those shiny knickknacks and making them into there's always some secondary thing that they're there for so you're always compelled to collect them because they always come in handy so now you can actually see what you're looking what you're getting which is pretty cool 130 hours it's a long time. Yeah, the most I've heard from another viewer is 150. Uh, I think that was having finished the side quest. Um, I, I have a few, just like a handful of side quests I'm trying to complete. Um, yeah, I mean, like I between when I played uh, like Definitive Edition and Future Connected, that took about 100 hours. When I did Two and Torna, that was like 105 hours. Mm-hmm. So just to be in base game and be this far, that's insane. Um, and, and part of that also, I will say, is because I didn't do all the side quests in one or two because um, I was not compelled to do so. Yeah, they I weren't was, always was, handy. I wasn't invested in it. I very actively want to see all these side quests um, because there is there's a, a there's still a big mixture of them. It's not like Xenoblade 1 that has over 400 quests and most of them Jeez. are just nameless fetch quests. Um, 2 was better at that, but still the stories that you got from those weren't very compelling. And 3, it has found its like stride in making side quests tell a compelling story about, mm. you know, like how how do people live in the world? Like, uh, and so, yeah, there there is, it does do a thing though where it mirrors the expansiveness of uh, the first game's side quest uh, by having this side, like sub-menu of quests called the Collectopedia. Um, and this is essentially like a trade network. So when you collect stuff and people post on a board of things that they want and you trade it to them and you get affinity points for the colony and also an item. Um, and there's at least a hundred of those. Um, but that is just totally on the side. Um, it's really, you don't think about it. You just go in there once in a while, turn some stuff in, yeah. get affinity points for your colony. It helps you level up, get stuff from that. So it's handled really well. 
I do like how in the colony, like there's already like you talk to people, you get affinity, like it, there's a purpose to everything, which is feels a lot better than just kind of being like, okay, I guess I got to talk to everyone. So there, there, it really does feel like you're going somewhere. Yeah, that was going to be like my big other question was like a lot of people bandy about like the, the 130 hours and stuff like that. Like that's so much content, but you feel like there's enough there to compel you along like enough carrots on the end of the rope to to want to keep chasing after them and and they're doing a good job of giving you like is i I guess does it feel rewarding in the moment too because sometimes even with like 14 and stuff like that i know that the end goal is exciting but the thing i am doing in the present is not always exciting is there any of that or does it feel like they're doing a good job of like metering out okay you're doing interesting things at each stage or there's like enough to compel you along in that direction i definitely listen to podcasts for some of it okay. uh, <laughs> i think part of like part of one. a problem i ran into is uh i have played all the other xenoblade games with guides mm. uh there's no guides for three <laughs> uh like two <laughs> weeks ago when i'm trying to find some random melon somewhere and the game mm-hmm. the game is generally better at directing you on these side quests, but it does do the thing that X and one do where it's just like, find this item. It's just like, okay. Um, so I have to guess or like get something from this specific monster. And it's like, doesn't tell me the region the monster's in. And so I have to like figure that out. Yeah. That was, that was a unique review challenge that made it take a bit longer. Um, I, but yeah, I mean, the, the the problem I have with Xenoblade is the the kind of verbs you get to interact with the world do ultimately boil down to some pretty basic things. Walk around or kill a thing and collect stuff from it. Um, so, so that's still there. Uh, but the, the motivation to get to the end like is is present throughout. You're you're getting you're constantly like getting feedback from the NPCs uh, that's pushing you along. Um, and also there's so many like the way that all the quests are somehow related to a colony. Um, mm-hmm. And so as you progress those, you unlock more quests and stories and like, yeah, it just, it, it builds your sense of like investing in these specific communities. Um, and you really want to in, uh, progress each colony's own story along because that's how you level up your heroes. Um, and the hero is the leader of each colony um, and you're basically like going around liberating them from the conscription they have in this war um, and when you unlock a hero you basically do this very long side quest with them something that in another game would be part of the main story um, and these are fully voice acted they have some like mocap cut scenes like they're great and there are so many cool interesting characters uh and so, like, the, the boring side quests are tied up in those enough where I, I'm not too bogged down by them. I have noticed that the lip syncing is a lot better in this game versus 2 or the first one. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just being lucky with this, but, like, I, I could be imagining things, but it just seems to me like it's, it seems a lot better. Yeah, I think um, there was an article a few weeks ago about how it's the first scene of, like, game that has, like, the English... Uh, voices are actually synced to like the the, the lip flaps on the, lip the character yeah. models are ma- are synced to the english uh, yeah. dialogue this time uh, but there is also mocap uh for characters full bodies and faces 
Um, and you know, digitally, digital foundries review actually gets into how the character models are made and particularly their faces to be more expressive. Um, mm-hmm. And it works really well for the story that they're trying to do. There's, there's still some moments. There's only a few points of expression for their bodies to get emotion across, but it is definitely doing enough uh, that when there is a cutscene that is like very intimate between two characters and it's a conversation and there's things that are going unsaid, you can see these emotional reactions in the character right. based off their body movement. thing that I find interesting about Xenogears Chron- Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is that <clears throat> the series is kind of zigzagged in a lot of ways. Uh, when went from 1 to X, which was... <laughs> very much its own thing and then over to two which again had more of a clear line to one but was also very much its own thing and now we're up to three which in its own way it it feels to me more like a direct sequel from one and i'm wondering if uh xenoblade chronicles has kind of settled into what it wants to be at this point um something that stands out to me is i believe in one of the interviews the development team said that this is the end of this cycle of Xenoblade Chronicles, but it's not the end of the series. They want to keep going right. forever. More Xenoblade Chronicles 3 or Xenoblade Chronicles forever. But uh, what are your thoughts on that, Autumn? Yeah, I mean, I just don't, I think it's a business decision. They can't stop making Xenoblade Chronicles. No, they're going to keep making them now. forever. Like, you have they to can have make that something name. else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, it, it has to be that name because of the recognition now. Like, yeah. Right, right. Stuff with this. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, people really want to see a sequel to X. Uh, it narratively set itself up as if it was getting a sequel. Um, and yeah, I'd like to see what they can do with that now. I really don't want them to remake X. I want them to make something new because 3 is the same engine as X. Like, they know how to use this in much more interesting ways now. Um, I think they can make something really cool with that. Um but yeah, so this this is the end of this trilogy. I think you can it's pretty clear how they're all related. Uh, but that gets a little into the weeds of things. Um, but yeah, I I think uh, you know like in that in one of those interviews, Nintendo released Takashi says like this this is looking to the future. The development was looking to the future of what Xenoblade will be, and you can kind of see that. And what does that mean? I don't know. But yeah hoping there's X. I'm hoping that they, I have no idea exactly what the next numbered Xenoblade game or subtitled Xenoblade game would yeah. be like though. I assume it's going to be like mechanically an evolution of this uh, narratively. No idea. Uh, I would like to know where the conduit went, you know, uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, Xeno, also Xenoblade is all, X is as ostensibly in the same multiverse as uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 1, 2, and 3. Oh, okay. uh, they, the developers have said that. Uh, at that point, that is at this point, that is just meaningless canon, though. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> at, at, you know, like, w- people are wondering if X was going to come in. Is 3 actually set in Myra? It's not, like, it's not that interesting. <laughs> so here um, I like Mango Alt yeah. saying, this is the one time Takahashi doesn't have a six-game plan. Which, yeah. uh, right? Not sure about right? that one. But, like, what... Yeah, but like with coming off with like uh, the momentum of this, like maybe he could do a six game plan now. Um, I I much I I much am very happy with how his partnership with Nintendo has made mm, him be sure. more concise in a way uh, and get get the point across quicker. 
because uh, yeah, you, like there is something to the length of JRPGs that I really like, and I think three is utilizes that really well to make you invest in the world and characters. I think a six game JRPG, if all the JRPGs take over a hundred hours to play, is maybe just being excessive. <laughs> I don't think you're wrong. I the funny thing is I don't think that Monolith Soft is locked into making Xenoblade Chronicles. I think that they've kind of made their bones being a support studio for Nintendo and they sort of have the leeway to do whatever the heck they want. It's not like Xenoblade Chronicles is this massive, you know, 10 million units selling 10 to 15 million 15 million units selling a franchise. But I, I think that they just kind of enjoy making these games and Nintendo's like, go ahead, go ahead and make, make more Xenoblade Chronicles. And Takahashi's like, will I make more Xenoblade Chronicles? Let's go. <laughs> For sure. I think Nintendo probably likes having something like this that they can point to. This is like a good to have sort of series. Like, like it's, it's not the club in your bag that's going to get the most distance, but it's the one that, you know, you get to be like, look, I have an RPG. We got an RPG <laughs> over here. Look at this big RPG. RPG fans live in large on the Switch by Nintendo Switch. And that's that's kind of the thought process there, I think. And like you said, Monolith Soft is, is also proving its value exponentially in other places within Nintendo. So I think this is the perfect time. All right, Xenoblade Chronicles 3 coming out. Critical acclaim. All right, it's doing great on the Switch. Now, we also on the other side have near automata hot in the people's minds right now because of this church mystery was near automata have android ladies so what we're going to do is xena saga reboot bring cosmos back it's time this is it do it takahashi <laughs> i feel like he wants to he really wants to get cosmos yeah i, I call her cosmos i'm sorry i can't is it myself, cosmos but... or cosmos and, and nadia it's the way you pronounce cosmos. words at this point you're gonna be like kiosmos <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, fun damn mean, it yeah i mean i feel like two xenoblade chronicles 2 kind of hints that there is some xenosaga connection going on uh yeah and xenoblade chronicles 3 i think like you know, like Xeno's saga was supposed to tell the story, the rest of the story of Xeno years, uh, but has changed the names and stuff. Like you, you can see how it fits into that whole story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is the most Xeno saga of any of the Xenoblade Chronicles so, uh, to the point of kind of being pastiche. Uh, and that's something that I'm excited for people to, like, to be able to more openly talk about. Because uh, there's some stuff that happens at the end where I'm like, this is oddly framed. Uh, this is a referencing things, not not canonical lore connections, but it's like the framing, uh, the mm. s- structures. There's it's it's drawing connections and metaphors, making meaning uh, that kind of can like pull your knowledge of saga to infer what's going on in three. Uh, you can kind of look back at Saga, see, you know, what what was the thing that they wanted to say with that one. The gears you're getting turning in my head about this right now are cruel because I'm still waiting <laughs> for Nintendo to ship this darn game to me. And now I'm sitting here like, wait, you're telling me there's Xena Saga in this game? Uh, uh, I'm not saying there's Xena Saga in this game. But there's, but, but, like, but like, Xena but like, Saga. But like, it's made by Tetsuya Takahashi. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It, it was... 
Xenoblade Chronicles was driving down the road with its window rolled down and a couple rows over, Xenosaga was blasting some music, so they got to hear what Xenosaga was listening to. This is... Uh, uh. Like, from what we've seen just in the trailers, though, like the it's also pulling a lot from Xenogears. Mm. Like, yeah. A lot of just stuff like that just looks like that. Huh? It's got some uh, robot yeah. fusion in it. Nintendo has a, a trio of RPGs now, right? I mean, you have Pokemon, you have Xenoblade Chronicles 3, and you have Fire Emblem, all from kind of second-party studios, interestingly enough, because, you know, Game Freak, which is its own thing, and then Intelligent Systems, which is its own kind of thing, Monolith Soft, and they all have very different flavors, right? So you have Pokemon, where you're catching them all, and it's for all ages, and you have Fire Emblem, where you make the characters kiss. And then you have mm-hmm, Xenoblade mm-hmm. Chronicles 3, which is definitely the most traditional out of all of them. And I, I really enjoy how they all kind of fit together and there's like a real flow to them. I, I like the way you said traditional. You're like RPG for the discerning palette. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it kind of is, right? I mean, it's very yeah, uh, complicated, yeah, I, systems heavy in like i just looking at the screenshots of like the skill trees and everything um how the, all the characters interact with the environments it's very much the most traditional i think out of all of them after tearing down xenoblade chronicles 2 i feel like it can handle any weird ass systems or three throws at me because two going back it's like why are you making me do this what brain worm has infected you that you think this is the best way to do this and i think that they really i hear they really streamline that so I am curious to see for people whose 3 is their first game, how they react to this, because I feel like it, it seems straightforward to me, but I had 200 hours of the two combat systems I did is combining. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. Me too. I, I just took to it like a fish in water, like it was no problem. The, the things you're mentioning, like part of this, I'm like less afraid now that I've taken the 14 plunge, and so I feel like I can handle that sort of thinking around an RPG, but also like... Y'all are saying stuff like move canceling. And I'm like, I play fighting games. I know what that is. I know how to to cancel my moves. And, and I play Tails. So I know all about doing my auto attacks and then going into an art and which arts are going to link into each other mm, to so get that set. sweet, sweet combo. So yeah, that's, yeah. I, I think if we're if that's the sort of ingredients that we're cooking with, a lot of people are going to feel it at, at home. Like surprisingly, a lot of fighting game mechanics have found their ways into rpgs in recent memory between final fantasy 7 remake and obviously tales has always been there but i feel more and more there's a lot of those action game beat-em-up game concepts going in because you can put interesting strategical twists on the idea of doing move canceling and positioning and stuff like that yeah it's not quite uh, where torna was at with this but it is uh very actioning and different mm-hmm. classes will also make that feel very different. Uh, towards the end of the game, one of the classes you get is like a boxer, uh, mm. and that is a very fast-paced class. You know, Heck yeah! Using arts, um, and also you know the game starts off much slower than it ends up being uh, because your arts recharge faster, uh, but you also unlock more arts to use at a time, and uh, there's a really great skill that pretty much everyone in my party has equipped now where there's a chance that your arts won't uh, be like depleted. Oh, nice. Yeah. And so like a 
third of the time I use an art, I can just use it immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That sounds pretty great, actually. I can use that. Are there like, are there things that would prevent you from wanting to do that? Like, do you have diminishing returns on successive uses of an art or something like that? Or is it like you want to be throwing those out all the time, like combo linking as much as possible? It depends on the class. Um, you know, like uh, lands the uh, starting tank in your party uh, has a big great sword that is also a shield and also a gun. Um, yeah, and Ryan lives through him. Yeah, uh, and his if his moves take a lot of time to do, it is the mm-hmm. kind of dedication of like a Dark Souls character mm-hmm. uh, when you commit to it. Uh, so, like, if you do a thing to like. Absorb all damage. It's going to be like really great, but if you happen to lose aggro right when he's mm-hmm. casting that, mm-hmm. then you're wasting time. Right. Uh, so you still do need to be careful. Um, but there's then there's more agile classes that just wall of damage out. Mm-hmm. Uh, where yeah, like just keep hitting them makes sense. Um, towards the end game, like some of the higher level DPS classes you get uh, run into aggro problems though. Uh, yeah. Be mindful of that. So, like, they draw a lot of aggro with the amount of damage they're putting out, or yeah. Also, I the, my build is probably not just super optimized. There are the, items you so, can get to kind of drop aggro too, but yeah. yeah. Xenoblade Chronicles Three. Um, now, now uh, it's going to be interesting. It feels like the series has uh, a lot of momentum at this point, and it, that momentum has kind of started from nil. Was Xenoblade Chronicles One? It was kind of a niche fan base, but it's just a second entry in the Nintendo Switch now with a very large install base, and I would say that has become a cult favorite. And maybe in Xenoblade Chronicles Three is kind of coming out the perfect time in the summer for everybody to be able to play it. it even came out early, which is yeah. kind of something that's unheard of in this day and age. It's pretty wild. But you can go check out Autumn's review over on Polygon.com, in which she says that. Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is the best story that Monolith Soft has ever told. Which is a big claim. But you should go check out our review right now. In the meantime, it's time now for the Summer of Gundam. Autumn, are you a Gundam fan? You said you were a Mecha in the Mecha. Yes, I like Mecha. Uh, I have only dipped my toe into Gundam, uh, but I, I do. Yes. Oh, you should pick up Gundam. We we're all really enjoying Gundam 0079 over here. I just wrapped it up. It's excellent. Are you more of an Evangelion fan? I am an Ava. I am an Ava yeah. fan. Although partly because like there's just a less Ava, it's easier to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. That is true. Yeah, like I've watched like. Parts of various series. Uh, I try to follow along with the Great Gunman Project as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the um, I really like the Gundam series. That's like the, the short mini series. It's like basically the Vietnam War. Uh, 8th MS team. Yes, that one. Yeah. yeah. It's very good. It's a great place to start. Uh, I just started in on Gundam The Origin uh, the mm-hmm. other day. And gosh, the, the chaotic manic energy... Uh, of that. Oh, it's great. Especially the it's, first episode. It's where so weird. It is very weird. Like, everybody is. is it weird? I found it just it's like, so, so extra. interesting. Oh, it's no, extremely it's great. extra. 
I, it's like Dozo, like Dozo getting all the stitches and then getting so pissed off that the stitches actually explode out and like you start yeah. bleeding from the face <laughs> I again. I forgot about that. Yeah, I so I have started the origin as well, um, and I'm kind of mixed on it because mm-hmm. part of me is like i love this i love this backstory i love seeing all these characters be more involved in the story and learning how they all got here and a lot of the backstory about the 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 families of of Zeon and all that uh the other part of me is just like who who is writing this like it's i, I can't tell if it wants to be like a Ranma one half, like a really old school anime that is just like constant energy all the time. Or if it wants to be a little bit more modern, cause like the CG that first fight scene in episode one that it opens on it's pretty is lit. Yeah. frantic. Like it's cool. But half the time I was like, what is even happening? Like Char's moving at three times the human speed and six times what my eyes can track. <laughs> so I'm just watching this red comet zip everywhere um as you get further into the series though there's a lot less in the way of combat and it's just kind of more about like uh the characters particularly char and how it became king asshole yeah i'm i'm interested to see that i thought some of the initial stuff with kaecilia was a bit all over the place um kaecilia is interesting because she in the series she is very cold and calculating yeah and in gundam the origin how would i even describe her (laughs) machiavellian is definitely a a a word that i might use with her like everybody is very extra like their normal Mm, personalities mm -hmm. from 0079 is heightened yes to a big degree yeah i I love soap opera i love the bit at the beginning of origin where like kaecilia gets slapped by her brother and it clearly like leaves a mark on her and then later keep calling her kaecilia what? what is that it's Cassilia. Cassilia, whatever Kaisil- look if nadia gets to pronounce it foi then i get to I do didn't whatever pronounce I, it foie. I said foo or something <laughs> amazing uh, nadia's favorite band the foe fighters uh <laughs> how do you know um i so like Kaisilia is I, i'm going to keep saying it i don't care uh like like that whole part where the the car blows up and she's just very cold faced and all that. I was like, okay, cool, great. And then she gets into that weird, like standoff match with Char at the house, and I'm like, what yeah. is the energy <laughs> what is of this? Why are you like this is, wrestling this with him the, on the couch? Yeah, this is the most uncomfortable I've been watching anime in a while, and that's saying something because I've seen a lot of anime. Like, are you trying to seduce this ten year old boy? Is that what I'm saying it, here? It was a weird. That's a weird energy. The in that ages scene. are kind of interesting too, because in the original Double Seventy Nine, so they're clearly doing the Casilia. Uh, this is why Casilia recognizes Char. In the original series, when mm. she says something like "I played with you" in the original, I think implying that they were similar ages. But in this one, she's significantly older than him. Yeah. So it takes out a somewhat different meaning when she says that. Mm-hmm. I do. Sure. I love all the stuff with uh, Ramba, um, yeah, like with Hamon, great. and and when he goes to the bar and all that. I was like this. This scene, give this me this series. Like everything else, get rid of that. Give me the the series about the bar that Hamone is running and and they're doing all this like back alley she's deals. A secret, she's like a secret agent slash soldier. Uh, yeah, that's great. 
when he's like, who's that that young plaything you got watching the door for you? You should stop leading him on so much. He's a little naive. And I was like, oh, this is such like this is good stuff right here. The way they're just playing off of each other a little bit. It's I, I that love was, that they that's turned, my favorite part. I love that they turned Clamp, who was their kind of lieutenant ensign guy into a Lupin the third bartender guy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Of course, and I love uh, Lucifer jumping around going, yeah, adorable, so cute. true like, oh, thank star. God we have, I'd rather have a cat than, than, than children. Like my husband was watching the first episode with me. We're like, oh, thank God, no tiny, no children, but we have a cat. This is good. I mean, Lucifer was the most enjoyable part of the entire series. Like they, I loved the stylized little art that they're like, oh, we had to go and wrangle Lucifer. And it's just like cutting yeah, to kind funny. of a hand-drawn like thing, like cutting up a uh, Ramba roll. It was, it was pretty fun. But it's something interesting that uh, Amy, who watched it with me, was pointing out. She was saying that uh, she was not invested at all in Solo, but she was very invested in Gundam The Origin. She was kind of wondering why, because they fulfill similar uh plot this fulfills similar purposes right gundam the origin is pure world building slash but how did dozo get his stitches how did cassilia know char that kind of thing and i'm like well there are two reasons first of all gundam has a much more interesting universe than star wars sorry uh star wars has always been a very patchwork kind of thing and then also char is a much more interesting character than han solo much more layered personality rather than the kind of one-dimensional Han Solo. So that's my theory. I am not a huge Han Solo fan, but you're probably going to catch it for calling it one-dimensional. I mean, what is what is his uh, other dimension besides being um, snide space space smuggler? I mean, guy? I'm not arguing. I just, people get very defensive about Star Wars. Uh, he yeah. shoots first. Uh, yeah. he, he's comes, real comes sad. Comes on to a woman who rejects him. He's really yeah. and then comes he's comes real back. sad in Force Awakens. Yeah, yeah. He was. I actually he, did like him in the sequel. Yeah, he was uh, a good sad in, dad. In, he was a very good sad dad. I loved actually the dynamic between Leia and Han and Kylo and that whole thing. And I think that Carrie Fisher dying robbed us of something really, really important that was not finished in the sequels, and it's a shame. It's really a shame. I mean, episode nine in general robbed a lot of what could have been really good of the sequels. So yeah, yeah. No argument uh, here. But yeah, no, like the top five sad dad of all time. And like Han Solo, to be fair, like when you have, he is one note, but it's a good note. It's a, it's like time it's has fine. shown that that note is solid. So yeah. like why play a different one when that one works well enough? Uh, I am so out on Star Wars right now. So I'm a little biased at the moment. I, during Comic-Con, I looked uh, one of my colleagues in the eye and I said, the only good Star Wars was the first one. After that, all Star Wars was a mistake. And they and were I like... stand by that. <laughs> they were like the new hope and you're like, no, Phantom Menace. <laughs> <laughs> now this is pod racing. Cat goes feral. <laughs> the cat goes feral. Neon. <laughs> As a fan of much Star Wars, I, I would agree with the sentiment that maybe it was a mistake. <laughs> Ultimately. Star Wars was a mistake. <laughs> yeah. uh, before we move on from Summer of Gundam, I, I really wanted to do this question from Supermoop, who said, Kat, we know you love Gundam, 
And as established in previous episodes, mecha RPGs are typically strategy RPGs. So if you were handed $100 million to make a non-strategy Gundam RPG, what does Cat's dream Gundam RPG look like? And obviously the answer is Stardew Valley, but it's on white base. That is my, that is my take. Every day you get to decide whether or not you're going to deploy the Gundam and the gun cannon and the gun tank. And probably you are a random white base crew member and you are building relationships with all of the different white base people. Mm -hmm. And as Mm -hmm. you move Mm -hmm. on through different segments of the game, there are different events that damage the white base or you go to different planets and it unlocks different um, events and everything. And uh, if you add in a little bit of a... uh, RPG combat system with the actual gun, Gundam and gun cannon and all that, or maybe you're actually on the bridge of the white base. I think it'd be grand, be really good. And then you die when Rambo Rawl shows up and shoots you in the face. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. R.I.P. Like that's, that's how my... I've always wanted to go. I've always said that. So I gotta say, if you want a non-strategy Gundam game, uh, Play Heaven will be mine. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What what is this game? He- Heaven will be mine. What is this? Yeah, it is uh, by the developers of We Know the Devil. It is a visual novel, dating sim. Uh, it, it has it, it uses the idea of new types in really interesting ways related to gender and sexuality. Um, it is like I said, it's a dating sim, and the dates are the the, the dates are replaced by mech fights with your rivals. Um, they're still kind of dates. Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, Let's have a mech fight. Yeah, it's I can rival man. Yeah, they're lesbians. Like, yeah, yeah. This is just how it works. It's great. One of my favorites. Rival mancing mech fighting lesbians. The video game. Well, I've just discovered my new favorite video game. Um, I'm done. <laughs> You're never gonna see me again. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that was the summer of Gundam. Keep an eye on Acts of the Blood God, because uh, we're coming up on August. We're going to wrap up the Summer of Gundam real soon with a Toonami uh, special starring Henry Gilbert. We're going to wrap it up with that. And we've also been planning a Char's counterattack watch. It would be nice to get through Gundam The Origin before uh, before I watch that, but we'll, we'll see. In any event, uh, Nadia, take us home. a mystery that I've had my entire life and I've never solved it. Maybe y'all can help me with this. Uh, when I was, I guess I was seven or eight, Nintendo was a new hot thing and I really wanted Nintendo more than anything. And I was, I lived in a townhouse complex where the backyards were all kind of connected. So I was walking through our backyard network, I guess you could call it. And some kid had was playing Nintendo in their basement and they left the, the door open so I could hear the music. The curtain was drawn so I couldn't hear it. But so I couldn't see it, but I could hear it. And what was happening was this kid was playing and he would die. And do you hear the overworld music again? Da, 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 da. But then it would go directly into Bowser's castle. You know how in like in, in, in World One, Two, you go da, 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 pew, 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 and you da, 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 da. Like that's normal. Everyone knows about that. But this was overworld music directly to Bowser's castle. And I am to this day just absolutely stumped what that was. I, I didn't have the metaphorical balls to go into that guy's house and say, what the hell is going on here? Because he probably would have screamed and called his parents. But 
to this day, I don't know what that was all about. And it actually segues into something else. Um, I was wondering, because I swear to God, I never did this. I swear. Have any of you snuck into someone's house to play the Nintendo? Because people did that, apparently. No. no. People did, like, I, I, I don't know how the topic came up one day, but it was just like, People were saying, yeah, I snuck in through the pet door to play my ne- my neighbor's Nintendo. I'm like, holy crap. If I tried that, my mom would like probably find an alligator pit and throw me in it because there was no way she was suffering breaking and, breaking and entering. Definitely never did that. Nadia, you can't open a segment with just, look, my I've never broken into a house to play somebody's Nintendo shirt is bringing up a lot of questions that are answered by my shirt. I mean, I've never I've never broken into anybody's house to play Nintendo, but I did have a, a friend and I really liked his Sega Genesis. And one day I went over and he wasn't home and I said, can I play a Sega Genesis? And his very confused parents said, okay, fine. I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to play the Sega Genesis. So I've done that to my everlasting embarrassment. And now I've shared it here. Video games, they're a hell of a drug. Video games are a mistake. I kind of did the same thing where, where I first got addicted to Nintendo, actually, was at a friend's birthday party. Her mom was playing Super Mario Brothers. And I was like, oh my god, I have... I've, this was like a revelation. It was like a new religion, like God descending before my eyes. And I spent a lot of time there when I should have been spending time playing, dancing to kitty cat music. I don't remember what was going on, but yeah. Um, I was invited to birthday parties, but not like very, 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 very often. <laughs> Me neither. I, the, the mental image of Nadia sitting there watching mom played super mario brothers as like children are dancing to cat sounds in the background <laughs> this is a pit uh, this is a pit such a pit <laughs> well the breaking and entering kind of d- 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 could determine that from the start but I, yeah that's uh we went on a journey I, I never broke and entered i definitely had friends that i was probably friends with largely because they had video game systems that i wanted to play but I've never broken an intern to play their video game system. I'm as surprised to figure about it as you are. I'm like, I, I, I mean, thought I job. was desperate about video games, and I am, and I was, but the pet door? The pet door. <laughs> How small are you? Amazing. Us kids are small. Kids are I small. Kids are small, a lot of little things. I probably could have fit through a pet door when I was very small. I probably could have too. I was a very small kid. Um, I didn't grow much, obviously. All right. That is it for this week's episode of Axel Blood God. Thank you so much for listening. As always, if you enjoyed the show, please go ahead and leave us a review on the podcatcher of your choice. You can find me on Twitter with the underscore catbot. Nadia's at Nadia Oxford. Eric is at CMoosey. And Autumn, where can we find you? You can find me at, at the Autumn Raid on Twitter. And you can read my column at Unwinnable. You should go and do that. Please do. You can also find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod, where there's tons of exclusive content to be finding at more than a year's worth at this point. Make sure to go and vote in our poll for the next month's Pantheon and get ready for our big Xenogears episode, which is coming out next week. I'm sure we'll find a guest before then. <laughs> we will, in- I swear to God. Fingers crossed. <laughs> and of course, thank you so much to our stars of Destiny, who this week included Amy, Beware the Slimes, Drew RWX, 
Dr. Horror, EJ, Not Hollow, La- Lana Delrathian, which is a hell of a name, uh, Mango Alts and Sardin, who had to get going. Thank you so much to all of you for your excellent support. We'll see you over in the post show in just a hot second. But until then, for Nadia, Autumn, Eric, and myself, thanks for listening and happy adventuring. <laughs>